Well, good morning. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians, and let me apologize ahead of time. I couldn't get the copier to connect this morning when I tried to copy, so everybody's looking for their sermon notes, and they're on my computer. I can touch them, but I can't print them, so, and it could just have been me, but, but uh, such, is, such is life. One year, here we are, the Lord has blessed us with one year of autonomy, and Mentioned that at breakfast. Uh, Pastor Casey was preached here several, t- several times. Um, Redemption Hill Church is first official service. Mount Holly and they're setting up church just like we used to. And remember, you know, set up, pull the speakers out and the screens are doing all of that. They did all that this morning. They're worshiping along with us in First Corinthians today, and uh, God has allowed us to plant and water and grow. And uh, so I, I just wanted you to help and you to help other people. So over the next few weeks, we're just going to continue to work through 1 Corinthians. And uh, we're going to lean into some real issues going on in the life of the church in Corinth. And there are issues that are going on in the life of the church here in Kings Mountain and in Gastonia and all across the world. There are real issues. We're not going to avoid them. We're going to hit them head on. And just so that you can prepare yourself and, and even... Invite people to be listening or to come on the 20th. I will preach a message on abuse. It is an important message in the life of the church. And the church cannot avoid it and must not avoid it any longer. And we will, we will tackle that in context of where, what we are dealing with here in Corinthians. And so let us stand to our feet. As Paul is sort of beginning to turn the corner in this letter. Beginning to deal with issues which one he's already raised, but now he's going to lean in. And when, when Paul leans in, he's, <laughs> he's not going to let up. And, uh, but this is a good word for the church today. We're only going to read the first nine verses. We'll look all the way down to verse 17 this morning. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ... I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paul, Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wage according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field God's building. Let's pray. Lord, we bow to you as our Lord, as as the architect of the plan of redemption of your church, of our lives individually and collectively. You created this life. You planned before the foundation of the world. 
that we as Battleground Community Church would be here in Kings Mountain right now and we give you thanks for it. We give you thanks for the growth individually as I have seen your children grow in you through trials and hard times and good times. We have grown and we thank you for it. Lord, help us. May this be preemptive for us. May we see how close we are always to division in our own flesh. Lord, help us to build this church and our lives on you and your son. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the overall context that he's concerned about in Corinth is unity. Unity and purity. He's going to deal with both as it comes. He's, he's using today two metaphors. And remember, when you got to... Think metaphorically when he begins to speak of that of farming and that of carpentry or building. You don't want to think about buildings. You would be completely on the other side of the point if we went there. This is a metaphor for fellow workers. What's going on here is squabbling, quarreling within the church over leaders. Who's the best leader? That's the main issue that's going on right now. And we just have to be honest as, the, as just people. Many of us have been in church a lot, a lot of our life. We can get into a squabble, can't we? If you were to say it out loud, it would probably, be, it would probably give a little humor to it. What, what are some things that you have been in church and people get in quarrels about? Somebody say one. Mule, oh yeah. Carpet. Oh, I remember one over pews. Oh my goodness, that was a good one. Trees. Charisma, yeah, yeah, yeah. Too much, not enough, right? One or the other. Anything else? Flags. <laughs> See, that's... You can't make this stuff up. This, brothers and sisters, we're going to look at leadership some next week again. But, but this is the primary point. The primary point that we get in quarrels over things that's not primary. We're all tempted to do it. This is what Corinth was doing. Music's too loud. Music's too soft. There's no steeple. There is a steeple. Doesn't matter what it is. Kids ministry is too big. Kids ministry is too small. Service time's too late. The service time's too early. This is modified from a Timothy Keller quote. Anything can bring division and everything has caused division. It's true. You are called by God's grace. You are indwelled by God's spirit. But we can oftentimes not act like it. And that's exactly what's going on. So the main point this morning, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we must refrain from immature behavior in the local church and pursue the building up of the church as God's fellow workers. It begins with the leaders and permeates into all of us. But let's look at first at the, at the immature issue. What's going on here? You see it in verse 1. It says, I couldn't even address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh as infants in Christ. 
Not when he first got there, and apparently not even now. You, you have this kind of thing of going spiritual infants. He's simply returning to an issue that he's already laid out. If you got your Bibles, you can flip with me just a page or so back to 1 Corinthians 1, verses 11 and 12. This is the issue of which he, has, he told the issue here. He went in all, everything he said in chapter 1 and chapter 2 is setting up to come back to this issue. Verse 11, chapter 1. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. That's the issue. They're quarreling over their leadership. Who's, who's the best? This is, this is critical to understand this morning of our own tendency and our own character. What's going on there? They have fixated on a trivial secondary issue and have made it primary. That's what's going on. It has created division. And Paul is wholly angry about it. Have any of you ever worked with someone who's either obsessive, compulsive, or they're on the autism spectrum, or maybe just a child who's been through trauma? Here's what you could oftentimes see. They get hung up on something on their shirt, right? I got, I got a piece. It might be there, it might not be there, but it's bothering them. Maybe it's their hair. Maybe it's something on the page. But whatever it is, they zone in onto that. They become fixated on it, and they forget about whatever's going on. They'll walk right off a cliff trying to get the stain on their shirt. It may be there, it might not be there, quite honestly. Before you know it, if they're in school, the whole class is worried about what's on the shirt. It might not even be there. Right? This is what's happening. They're fixated on something that's secondary, and before long, you got a whole group of people fixated on it. This is why chapter 2 is there. The gospel, Jesus Christ crucified for our sins, is our primary. He has already laid that out. Now he turns back to it that you are acting infantile when you make secondary primaries and divide over it. Oh, how many churches have started over secondary issues. They are mature in a strict sense, in the sense that they belong to God. He's talked about that in the last chapter. Now he's changed, he's modified this sense in some degree. Distinguishing one sort from another, you can be, you have your standing secure in Christ, but your actions are speaking another message. The irony of this whole thing is they are acting spiritually superior because they're following this leader and that. And Paul says, you're acting like a baby. He goes on pushing this baby imagery to say, Verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. And not only then, but now he says, even now, you're not ready. This is another important to understand this morning. How many sermons do we listen to? How many devotions do we read? And we do not stop and seek to apply it into our life and make sure if this is God's words, I have conformed this part of my life into the image of his son before I dare step one more step. This is what we're in danger of listening to 20 sermons and, and applying none of them. 
You see, you see if we can follow this this morning. Now hang with me through all of this. We'll talk about growth groups for a minute. Because growth groups is a means to something. Growth group is not essential in your life. Now hold on with me. The application of God's truth is essential in your life. True biblical community is essential in your life. And at Battleground Community Church, growth groups is the primary means to accomplish that. Are you with me? There's some things that's primary. There's some things that's secondary. But a church has to have a means to accomplish the primary because God is holding the leaders accountable to do the primary. You with me? So we got to know why we do what we do. We just don't do things around here. We're doing it for a reason. You need to know how to apply the truth. You know, need to ha- how to live in accountability with other people. And when we do not apply, when we do not allow the gospel to permeate deeply into us, division is oftentimes a result. Turn with me to Hebrews. Hebrews speaks of this. Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5 verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Verse 14, listen. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers discerned, the powers of discernment trained by the constant Practice to distinguish good from evil. Application and practice is critical. It's not happening. What's the evidence? What's the evidence? Look at verse 3. It says, for you are still of the flesh. Okay, you just accused me of something. Paul, what's your proof? Here he says, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. There, in other words, the objective evidence that you're acting like a baby is that you're jealous and you're quarreling. He says the same thing. He comes back to it in, his, in the next letter, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. Listen to what he says here. He says, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and he says, and that you may not find me as you wish. Why not? That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder within the church. Paul, I love this in verse 3. You know what he says? He says, you're acting like a mere human. Now, now, what's the point of getting that this morning? You have to be here for last week to understand we have been indwelled by God. We have within us the potential to do things superhuman. And there's nothing more superhuman than to not act worldly. We live lives distinguished from the world because we are distinguished by the Spirit of God that lives within us. So how do we overcome this? We've already said if we've lived long enough, we've seen some really ridiculous things that we quarrel over. So how do we overcome it? First point, I hope you see it, is we put off secondary issues. 
We put off dividing over them. It does not mean we don't discuss them. It doesn't mean we don't wrestle with them. But it means we refuse to divide over them because the gospel is what we are united over. What else? We must put on something. You see, we must put off immature behavior, but we must put on something. We must put on humility and unity and a radical God-centeredness. This is how we build up the church. As brothers and sisters, we must pursue the building up of the church as God's fellow workers. And so here comes the metaphors. The metaphors. The first one's farming. And if you've ever, you don't have to be a farmer. But if you've ever tried to raise anything, if you've ever planted anything in the ground and then tried to keep the weeds away and all these different things and you had to plant and you had to water and you had... You know, it's not easy, but to get the metaphor, you understand the point. You can work as hard as you want to, but if it don't rain, you're done. You're done. Even pagans that don't believe in God just simply call it nature. I worked as hard as I could, but nature didn't cooperate. Even the polytheists prayed to their different gods because they knew they were powerless. If something didn't affect, this is the metaphor. We're farmers, and the church is God's field. When we have a shared assignment, we are assigned by the Lord. Verse 5, what then is Apollos, what is Paul, servants through whom you have believed, as the Lord assigned to each? Now the primary context here is leadership. He's going to permeate this into the church as the letter unfolds, but he's setting up things here. We have a shared assignment. Remember, they're trying to pit Paul versus Apollos. Those are the two primary. They both were there. Turn with me to Ephesians. I'm not going to get into this. I just want you to see this. It tells us about our shared assignments. And Ephesians 4 verse 11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelist, the shepherd and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Here's our, here's our picture for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's already made his point that we are all called by the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 9. Here he's all made his point last week that we have been indwelled by the Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 12. Now he says, we have been assigned by the Lord. That word means given, granted. You've been given by the Lord. You've been granted by the Lord. This is the parable of the talents. God assigns what he gives. It's up to him what he gives. We are faithful to use it for his glory. The way he assigns us to be used. This is the imagery of that of a, a farmer. He says that they are assigned servants. You see that word there in verse 3? That's the word diakonos. It just means table waiters. That's, that's what we just nominated some table waiters a couple weeks ago. That's what that means. What the purpose of deacons in the office is to demonstrate what everybody should do. We're all called to be table waiters, but you see it starts at the top. It's not that the 
that the you need to be a leader. It is that the church needs leaders to demonstrate what we are should be. This is to table waiters. That's what he said. Hey, men, men of Paulus, we're just table waiters assigned by the Lord. Look at verse 7. So neither he, I'm back in 1 Corinthians now, chapter 3, verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only who God gives the growth. What does he say he is? He said, we're nothing. Notice back in verse 3. He doesn't even say who is Apollos. He doesn't say who is Paul. He says what? It's impersonal, isn't it? That's his point. He's minimizing themselves to maximize the Lord. This is what we mean. How do we keep division from coming within the local church? We must put on humility. We must put on servanthood. We must put on our table waiter's apron and do the job that God assigned to us. That's how we keep from dividing. That's how we, not, we keep from elevating each other. Notice this is radically God-centered all the way through it. And notice something else here. Look at verse 6. They're not only assigned servants. They're sharing something, but it's distinct. You see it? I planted and Apollos watered. watered. In other words, we didn't do the same thing. When Paul came into Corinth, there wasn't a church. When he left, there was a church. When Apollos came, the church was already there, and he watered what was there. He even planted some more. But their callings were different. He said, you can't pit us against each other. We're one. We've both been assigned. We've both got a calling. We're accomplishing the same thing. Think about it. What does the farmer desire? Fruit. Crops. That's what he desires. Here's what he's saying. Nothing's going to happen without God. God gave it to us. God brings the growth. We are nothing in comparison to God. And we will not be the cause of division. That's what he's saying. Same spirit. Distinct gifts. One purpose. He's going to explain this. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7. Do you remember that text? We'll talk about it when we get there. Varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. Same God, same Spirit empowers them all. Verse 8. Look at verse 8. Gets to that unity again. We're going to come back to that. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. Now he's... He's working the metaphor here. But when we speak of wages, biblically, we're looking to the future. We're speaking of what he's going to go on to explain that day. Look, at, look with me in Matthew. I want you to see this. This is normal language. There's nothing more biblical than speak of being rewarded. This is the way we speak of the eternal Matthew 6, verse 2. Matthew 6, verse 2. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites, speaking of the Pharisees, do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say, they have received their reward. That is, the praise of men was their reward. Verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, 
so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's what he's speaking of in verse 8. Although his main theme we see in verse 9 is we are God's. <laughs> he's thinking, we are God. We belong to Him. Three times. Look at verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. The point, we as leaders are not the point. God is. That's the point. So we must not divide over secondaries. We must understand we've been given an assignment. And that assignment is that of service. And listen, here's the next one. Verse 10 and 11. We need to be careful. We need to be careful farmers. We need to be careful builders. Verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. We build by grace. And listen to what that means. This is not what he means. It means you're on your own and God's just smiling. He's a good job. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about God's empowering grace. That his grace is the empowerment to build. He gives us that grace. That grace is strength. It is our spiritual power that comes from the Holy Spirit. According to the grace given me, I built. According to the grace given me, Apollo's came along and added to what I did. Both had their assignments. You see, now he's switching metaphors, isn't he? To that of a builder. So this is what he's, this is the illustration. We had an architect come in, they look at our building, they looked at our building, eventually we'd like to worship on the other side. But we just can't pick the chairs up and move them because the city has rules and codes and all these different things and they're complicated and I don't understand them. And so architect comes in here and he looks and he says, okay, I'm gonna, we're going to have to do some work. I'm going to have to check the zone and in the codes and then we're going to have to make a plan. And I'm going to draw it. We're going to have to make sure how many air conditions, all blah, 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 all this stuff. And when he gets the plans completely done, then we may begin the adventure of upfitting the building. Here's, that's the point. Here's the point. We don't make the plan. God does. God is the architect. And what He does to your leaders is He puts the plan in their hand and He says, this is the plan. And you don't change it. This is, he is the architect. Here's what, that's what he's saying. I am simply the superintendent of what God has given me. And he has assigned each of us how we use it and how we build it. Here's what he's getting at here. When it comes to God's perspective of the local church, quality matters. Quality matters. It matters on what you build. And it, models, it matters on what you use to build it. We must build only on the foundation laid in Christ. Verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than what is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Oh, think of the churches that have laid their foundation on division. I got mad at you, and so I took my stuff and left and started a church. 
He says, you, you can only build a church on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the gospel, nothing else. This is critical, brothers and sisters. This is God's word. We are seeking to demonstrate something on earth that is true in the eternal. God with his people. That's what we seek to demonstrate. We do not seek to discriminate discrimination or, or racism or separation. We seek to be a snapshot of heaven on earth. That's what we're doing here. We lay it on Christ, but how we build is important. You see, we should be a picture of heaven here as the local church. Problem is, that's not always what we're looking like, right? Sometimes it's, we sound more like something worldly than something heavenly. He says, it's not just what you build on, it's how you build. And so he uses with this building metaphor... In contrast, two kinds of materials. The best way to think of this through the whole, the rest of the time is combustible, non-combustible. Right? Because there's a fire coming. He says, you can build this house and you can either build it with stuff that's eternal, non-combustible, or you can build it with something that's not eternal, combustible. You can build your house out of cardboard if you want to. That's what he's saying. What is eternal? True wisdom. He's already laid that out. But I want to be clear this morning that the Bible has been very clear. He has given us the great commission. And he has given us the great commandment. He has given us the mission to make disciples. That's how we glorify him. That's why you're here. He has given us both the means and the motive. We do it because we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And we look at our neighbor, that person that we would normally go around, and we would say, he is made in the image of God. He is my neighbor, and I will love him with the cross, and I will love him where he is, and I will take him on a journey to follow Christ with me. That's what it is, brothers and sisters, and it's nothing else. It's not our buildings, it's not our steeples, it's not our stained glass, or it's not the opposite of them. It is to make disciples of Jesus Christ and to help people follow Him no matter where they are. That's the mission, brothers and sisters. That's eternal. And if we don't grab a hold of that, we may find ourselves on judgment day saying, look at my steeple, God. Look at my building, God. Here's what Corinthians have done, you see. They have created little sub-communities within the church. Sub-communities of built-on preferences. We like Paul, so we're going to have a Paul Bible study. We like Apollos, so we're going to have a Apollos Bible study. We're going to learn to talk like Apollos. They create little sub-communities within the church and have... Divided the church based off personal preferences. Is that not exactly what traditional and contemporary services did when we started them? We're going to create within the church two sub-communities based off their preferences. And in turn, we did exactly what the Bible told us not to. And we took the old and divided them from the young. And the only way that we can learn from each other is when we are together. We oftentimes don't reflect heaven because we act like we're going to live here forever. We're not. This is temporary. And I got news for you. Not going to be separated by age in heaven. 
Not going to be separated by ethnicity or socioeconomic standing in heaven. We are together, we are family, and we will might as well act like it now. Because according to Christ, we are. We are assigned, we are careful. And listen, if you haven't got it already, he's going to make the point. We are accountable. We are accountable. Verses 13 to 16. So look at verse 13 to start with. Each one's work. Each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Fellow workers will be judged individually. Do you see it? Each one's work. Paul's saying, I'm not going to be standing beside Apollos. Apollos is not going to be standing beside of me. What I built on and how I built it and why I built it is going to be judged. You see what it says? The quality of the work. The day is going to do it. You see the word the day? That's talking about the coming of Christ. The day of judgment. This is a searching test. And it's like in the fire. That's why this analogy helps. Okay, you've got a field and you've got a building. And here's what that day for believers, especially, we'll talk about the next week, especially its leaders held to a stricter standard. This is this picture of God's holiness. His purifying holiness blows over the works of your life. And what is left you will be rewarded for. That's the picture. Starting with leaders. This is not about your salvation. Remember, your salvation has been, your judgment has already been rendered. Christ was on the cross for you. He took your wrath. He took your penalty. He took your place. He's given you your righteousness. That's settled. But here we see that fellow workers will be judged for the quality. In other words, the true character of the work will be revealed. Did you build it on Christ? Did you use eternal, eternal materials? Why did you do it? 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. That day will disclose the purposes of the heart. Two things is going to happen on that day. Fellow workers will be rewarded. Some fellow workers will be empty handed. Look at verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. It's not speaking of heaven or hell. It's speaking of eternal reward. What has survived? We can ask ourselves the question right now. If we were standing before the Lord and he asked you how many and how many people would come up beside of you and say, hey, he helped me follow Christ. Little simple ways, you see. We're thinking of 
some building, some kind of mega ministry, and he's talking about coming alongside someone and not bailing on them and showing them how to follow Jesus. How many people on that day will come up and say, I was right there, and he stood by me and walked with me. This is, you see the quality? Quality matters. At the same time, look at verse 15. Some fellow workers will be empty-handed. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This should put an urgency. This should be, put a motivation. This should help us understand. This is written within the context of the local church to the church who's arguing, quarreling about its leaders. So he starts with his leaders. So you need to understand that something is true about his leaders. He's going to go on to say it's also true of you. We are assigned. We are careful. We are accountable. And we must be unified. We must be unified. He's already said this in verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wage. We're one. We're We're not against each other. If this is not absolutely clear, look what he calls the local church. In verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Yes, you individually and yes, you corporately as the church. The Corinthian church is indwelt by the Spirit and they individually are indwelled by the Spirit. They are God's. They are His temple. They are unified. They have a purpose. They are not fighting against each other. No, not His leaders. No, not His members. He's already said this too. When He first raised the issue, if you go back to chapter 1, look at verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1.10, He says this. Remember, He's raised a... He's, He's brought up the division right after this. Look at what he says before. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you, what? Agree that there be no, what? Divisions among you. That you be, what? United in the same mind and the same judgment. That's unity. We're not going to divide. We're going to stay here. We're going to, we're going to come to the same mind. We're going to make decisions based off the same thing. Acts 20, 28. Acts 20, 28 says this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. So don't miss this this morning. This verse means absolutely nothing out of its context. This verse was written in context. This verse is to the church in Ephesus, written, spoke directly to the elders of that local church. If you rip the local church and its importance out of your language, out of your worldview, you have just lost the primary context of the New Testament, which most of which, especially Paul's letters, 
And even Acts is written to, this charge is to the leaders that say, you shepherd those people because they're not yours, they're mine, and my son bought him with his blood. Now that will keep a pastor in ministry. It's his. They're his. I am a steward. And he's given each of us an assignment and a responsibility to build carefully and to understand we are accountable. This church pulled up a picture, almost to it on the screen, but it was mostly just for me. I asked myself, what do you see the local church as? I, I googled online images of a shattered old shacky church that had been run down, and I put up a picture of the biggest cathedral. This is the point this morning. Why Paul's laboring so hard in Corinth, and he's not done yet. He's just getting started. The picture of God's for his church, for his local individual churches, and collectively the universal church, is that they're precious. They're precious. And listen, they are primary. They are primary in carrying out God's mission. God's commission was given to the apostles that were the pillar of God's church. And he gave it to us. So what? Are you giving yourself to it? Are you giving yourself to the work of the Lord? You see, the local church eternally matters. I don't want you to be deceived, but I want you to be, feel the burden of it this morning. You cannot kill the universal church. It will succeed. God has promised it. But through division, you can kill a local church. You can. Many have. And here's a sobering truth. Not safe to. It's not safe to. It's not safe to divide the church. Do you see it? Verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. The local church eternally matters. What is your assigned service? What has God given to you? You know, it's the truth. Me and Mike are not like each other. Right? He's not. He's, a, he's my brother and he's my friend, but God didn't make us up the same way. Are we supposed to sit around and pit each other against each other because God didn't make me like Mike or Michael like me? No. He made us diverse precisely so that we may build up the body of Christ using our unique, diverse gifts and personalities to do it. Doesn't that make sense? That's what God has done. Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. When did God prepare those good works? Before the foundation of the world. Let's walk in them. He planned them, and they are good. This is true this morning. Whether we're speaking of me as a leader, which is the primary context of this passage this morning, or you, we are imperfect instruments in a perfect Redeemer's hands. Whether there's never been a perfect pastor nor a perfect church member, but our Christ is perfect, and we all long to be like Him. And so, brothers, as you bow for prayer...
Let me read this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord, it's a good word for all of us this morning that you have laid a good work in front of us. And it is simple and it is straightforward, but it is hard work. Truly, Lord, the the gate is narrow and the path is hard, but it's good. And we don't walk it alone. For you have given us your spirit, you've given us your church. You've given us each other. Oh God, why would we walk it alone? So, Lord, I just pray that you would do your work here as our one-year anniversary here of autonomy. Lord, you, you, I didn't plan this sermon today for this day. You did. And, and so, Lord, you have a word for us as one year into this. And, Lord, may we heed it. Thank you for a people who love you and not division. Thank you for that, God. You are good. You've given us each other who love each other. Bind us together, Lord. Multiply us as your imperfect instruments in your hands. And now, Lord, may we worship you for who you are. And for what you've done, in the name of your son we pray. Amen. Stand.